1: Welcome to The Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, August 12th. Things got physical at the 2022 National Bank Open happening this week in both Montreal and Toronto of course we've already spent so much time on this show breaking down the biggest storylines that have emerged from the week of play you've heard the backgrounds of just about every player remaining in the draw so what i want to do to mix things up on today's show really focus on our eight quarterfinal matches feels like it was a relatively tame day of tennis i got the opportunity to watch at least 15 minutes of each one of these matches. As such, I want to discuss what allowed each of our victors to emerge on the day. Of course, I will dive more deeply into some of the players, in particular on the men's side, Pablo Carreño Busta, who, in my opinion, has been the best player from the start This week in Canada, the 31-year-old reminding all of us what his peak level does look like. He earned another straight set victory, his third consecutive of the tournament. He's yet to drop a set this time. It's a win over the rising 20-year-old Jack Draper. Carino Busta just worked Draper physically and you know again it's crazy to say that number out loud as he's been a part of the top 25 for just about the majority of the past decade but Carreño Busta at 31 years old probably at the tail end of his prime still with Hard court events coming up, a surface he has long had success on. Of course, it wasn't that long ago. He really should have beaten Alex Virev, probably made the 2020 U.S. Open final. I want to talk about what allowed him to succeed, not only today, but throughout the course of this weekend. You know, again, give you a preview of why I think he is well positioned to perhaps reach his first Masters final of his career. Of course, to do that, he's now going to have to knock off 32-year-old Dan Evans, who, of course, has had an up-and-down career, mostly due to the suspensions that have kept him off the court, but he's certainly playing the best tennis of his career and for Evans into his second career master semifinal. My favorite set of tennis I saw on the day was the third set. Between he and Tommy Paul. Both guys bringing some of their best stuff. But it was the variety, the relentless physicality of Dan Evans that allowed him to pull through. And I'll get into the mechanics of that match here on today's show. Of course, we'll also talk about Casper Ruud cruising. Hoopy Hercott surviving. Get into everything that happened today in Montreal. On the women's side in Toronto, was honestly just as fun of a day. In particular, the night session was Hopping, whether it was Beatrice Haddad Maya, who continues her run of success this time, it's a three set victory over Belinda Bencic again. I know I mentioned this yesterday, Hadad Maya can do it all. She showed it all off in her victory against Bencic. I'll explain what I mean on today's show. Of course, we also probably got to talk a little bit more about Karolina Pliskova. She continues to round into form on her best surface and was a finalist at this event last season. Now into the semifinals, once again, this year was very, very impressive in a three-set come-from-behind victory over the talented Jung Chin Wen. And then, of course, again, Two other fun winners on the day, Simona Halep, Jessica Pegula, who just continue to do their thing. Two of the most consistent players in what has been a volatile 2022 WTA season. We can get into all eight of our quarterfinals here on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out on the mini break podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. We're immensely grateful for the fact that so many of you do choose to turn to us for your updates on everything happening in the tennis world. As such, I'm guaranteeing it once more, we're going to break down this weekend's action. Why are we going to do that? Because it's busy times here at Crack Rackets. We're excited to get on the road. We will be on the grounds of Cincinnati throughout the course of the week in particular on Sunday. Very excited to play a role in the college showcase event they have going on. And of course, if you're planning on going to Cincinnati, go a day early, go for the qualifying rounds. Not only will you get to see guys like Andy Murray in action, the tennis spectacular, but of course it's going to be a showcase of college tennis as well. And you know, 34 college tennis players currently in the top 100 of the ATP doubles rankings, 10 in the top 100 of singles. You've got uh, countless future aspiring stars competing on the grounds at Cincinnati. Come check it out. I promise you're going to enjoy it. It's going to be a fun event. Of course, after that, we go to the LS Pro uh, Challenge. We head to Cleveland as well. I'm going to be emceeing that event. Super producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos as such. So as to ensure we don't get behind here at Cracked Rackets, we're going to provide some podcasts for you all this weekend, wrap up all the action happening in Toronto, of course. Again, the reason we're able to do that, Day in, day out, here on this show. I'm not filibustering, but always excited to offer my thoughts on our friends at Tennis Point because they are the best in the business, best equipment, all in one location, all the best prices, tennis-point.com. You all know the deal. The promo code is CR15. I also have to give a shout out to our friends at Manscaped who not only sent us some of their fantastic products, but of course our partners and sponsors here of the Mini Break Podcast. And if you haven't heard already, it's Smooth Sack Summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're scaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leader in below-the-belt grooming is making sure we all have a ball This summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code new balls. Please look, we're going to Cincinnati. We're going to Cleveland. It's gonna get hot. That's why I'm immensely grateful. Our friends over at manscaped sent me everything I need to ensure I'm not a mess out on court. And, you know, I will say in particular, I'm a man who likes to do a lot of exercising. It just helps me clear my mind, focus my thoughts, despite what you may all may think, uh, going into each of these podcasts. That Manscaped set of boxers, perfect set of athletic briefs for anyone who likes to get out there as well and again that's part of the deal that's what manscapes offering whether it be they threw in their two free gifts in their performance package 4.0 the manscape boxers and the shed travel bag that will bring your comfort to another level of course that all comes with the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer and you know crop preserver ball deodorant crop reviver toner performance boxer briefs all these and so much more look Don't take my word for it. Just make the purchase yourself. You're not going to regret it. It's the Smooth Sack Summer. Make sure you have everything you need to take care of business and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. Smooth Sack Summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. Go to manscaped.com. Use that promo code NEWBALLSPLEASE. With that said, let's Get into Friday's action on the ATP and WTA's tour. Let's start on the men's side because you look at the day's action, certainly, it feels like there's more uncertainty with how the next two days are going to play out in Montreal. I know the top half of the draw, I'll get into why we shouldn't be surprised by Kasparut Hubi-Hurkats reaching the semifinals of this event in Canada. Certainly, they've been two of the most consistent players at the Masters 1000 hardcourt events over the course of the past two years, and I'll make my case for that statement a little bit later on. But bottom half of the draw is funky. I think no one would have, if I offered, you know, 10 to 1 odds that it would be Pablo Carreño Busta versus Dan Evans in the semifinals of this year's National Bank Open. I don't think a lot of people would have made that bet. Nevertheless, that's where things stand heading into Saturday. And let's start with Pablo Carreño Busta, who really has cruised through his first three matches in Canada. Cranio Busta, again, 31 years old, now 26 and 17 overall on the year, just over a 60% win percentage. He reaches his... Second semifinal, third semifinal of the season by reaching this semifinal in Montreal. Shockingly, because again, the 31-year-old was ranked as high as number 10 in the world back in 2017, has been in the top 25 for the majority of the past decade, and yet it's only his third semifinal of his career. At the Masters 1000 level, you look for Corrêa Busta. Those two other Masters semifinals also coming on hard courts. You look for him overall. He reached the semifinals of the Indian Wells event that happened back, of course, in 2017. Also semifinalist 2018 in Miami. He lost those matches to Wawrinka and Zverev, respectively. That feels surprisingly low. And he's only made, by the way, now seven quarterfinals in his career. He's three and four in those quarterfinal rounds. You look for him overall at the Masters level in his career. He's now played you know, 53 total Masters events. I feel like seven quarterfinals in 53 events, that does feel a little bit low for Carreño Busta, of course, so frequently three, if not four of those spots throughout the prime of his career were taken by Murray, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, but again, seven feels a shade low. Nevertheless, for Carreño Busta, again, all three of those semifinals have come on hard courts, and you look for Carreño Busta this season, you know, numbers-wise, you could argue he's still in the prime of his career again he's holding 82.4 percent of the time that's the second highest number of his career trizzle in the 2019 season it's five percent above his career average breaking serve 24.9 percent of the time which is only 0.5 percent above his career average but he's still at his career average as a returner and as we see so frequently with high level players they understand the need to play a little bit bigger on the first serve need to hold points make things a little bit easier for themselves again from a numbers perspective We've seen Karenio Busta do just that here this year. What's been so impressive with Carreño Busta is just how relentless he's been against each one of his opponents. Again, three straight set victories for him this week. It started against Matteo Berrettini, who shockingly is, I believe, slightly under 500 in his career in ATP hard court events. The two out of three set format, he just hasn't quite cracked it yet on the hard courts, which is surprising again getting his given his skill set, that's a conversation for us to have on at a different time, perhaps in our Tears podcast, which I swear is coming at some point. You look, you know, again, in that match, it was just the discipline. Of cranio busta, peppering that Berrettini forehand. Then on these courts, the whip, uh, the topspin, and how his forehand rips through the court. He's relentless with his inside-out, inside-out, inside-in forehand combination, which again is rewarded on this surface. The heaviness of his forehand. Just it was difficult for Berrettini to scrap out of his corner. It was difficult for Holger Rune to scrap out of the corner. It was difficult for Yannick Sinner to scrap out of the corner. Excuse me, fourth consecutive straight set victory for Karen Busta now against Jack Draper to reach the semifinals in Montreal. And, you know, again, you look for Correño Busta from a numbers perspective. Obviously, he's gonna. it's going to be a pretty clean performance. Made 64% of his first serves, won 70% of his first serve points, 60% of his second serve points, faced only two break points in the match, and really only played one bad game. It was his first bad game, in my opinion, of the tournament, because Cranio Busta served for the opening set up 5 4, three on four stairs in that game. And you look for Cranio Busta, who hit 31 winners against 26 unforced errors overall in the match. He missed three plus one forehands in the span of one game. One of them inside in, one of them inside out, the other just sprayed. You know, he blinked for a moment. And credit to Jack Draper, who landed, I thought, neutralizing returns at a minimum, connected well on those balls. I thought only one of them was a bad miss from Carino Busta of those unforced errors. But credit to Jack Draper, who A, showed off a physicality I didn't know he had in him in set number one and clearly he ran out of steam in set number two you could tell the first serve percentage dipped for him between sets one and sets two and just you know again for uh draper there was a distinct moment for all in the first set breaker they play this about 22 shot rally draper ends up uh missing his approach shot as he tries to track down a cranial boost a short ball and afterwards draper just hand on the hips you know Breathing heavily, you could tell he was just cooked. It took him so much effort through that hour, five-minute first set that he just didn't have a lot of gas left in the second. But that said, that first hour of play— Boy, the physicality from Draper was immense. And again, you look for Jack Draper, who's now 38 and 12 overall on the season, still winning 75% of his matches. He's 11 and 7 overall at the ATP level. That's about a 60% win percentage. He's doing fine. You know, again, with his result this week, up to a new career high in the live rankings. We talked about this yesterday, currently sitting at number 55 going into a very advantageous stretch of the calendar for the big serving lefty who, you know, had so much success on in the indoor hardcourts at the challenger level. He's going to get into all the European indoor hardcourt events at the end of the season. Jack Draper should end the year in the top 50. But again, credit to Cranio Busta. 36, uh, as I mentioned, 31 winners, excuse me, against 26 unforced errors. An efficient 17 of 24 at the net. Did a great job just even from the set, game number one, I think he had a couple early breakpoint chances. I believe he had a 1540 lead and you know Draper to his credit saved 10 of the 13 breakpoints that he faced. Um, you know, uh, Cranio Boosted was just stretching. Draper and had him moving, you know, no more than two balls on the same side of the court. But credit to Jack Draper, who showed an ability to match that physicality. Who again, I think, is actually better defensively on the backhand wing. I think he gets better depth on that ball more routinely. I think the forehand, because it is a more extreme grip, a bigger backswing. That's the ball where if you get to that side with pace, he'll leave that ball short. And credit to Carreno Busta, who whenever Draper did leave that ball short, whether it was backhand up the line, inside, in forehand. Reino Busta made him pay, but, man, Draper had a lot of answers in this match, and, you know, again, in set number one, when he had his legs under them, used his serve to fight, you know, how many of those break points were fought off by unreturned serves, I would say at least four of the ten, and just matched the physicality, has the weapons. When his serve does produce a short ball, he's excellent when he has time on that forehand at peppering with the approach shot at any position on the court. He's a comfortable volleyer. You look for uh, Draper in this match, 9 of 15, and again, he wasn't able to get up to the net much, and that's a testament to Carreño Busta, who just, every return was landing past the service line, but Draper's confident and comfortable moving forward. We saw it against Tsitsipas in round number two. We saw it for him yesterday in the first set against Guillaume Monfi. He just plays on his own terms, but couldn't quite match the physicality of Carreno Busta who again 26 and 17 overall on this season you look for Carreno Busta in terms of who he's faced uh, throughout the course of this year he's been pretty solid across the board again by ranking against players outside the top 50 11 and 7 he's actually struggled against those sorts of players and yet against top 50 opponents now 14 and 10 overall on the year it's a head scratcher. Top twenty opponents for him this year. He's five and five after losing his first four. He's now won five of his last six, including the two this uh, week in against Sinner and Berrettini. I mean, he runs hot and cold. There's no doubt about that. But you look for Carreño Busta, again, via the numbers. He's now winning 60% of his matches. He's only done that in four different seasons throughout the course of his career. And, you know, again, as of right now, his win percentage this year higher than his career average. I already went through with the hold percentage break percentage higher than his career average with his run to this third semifinal at a Masters 1000 event in his career. Carreño Busta back up to number 19 in the live rankings, excuse me me. With his win today, he's back up to number 17 in the live rankings. You look in the points race, currently sitting at 19th. There we go. Overall in the points race, I was impressed by Carreño Busto, who again, just seemed to be able to wear Draper down physically. And when you're the veteran playing the young guy with the big weapons, that's your job. Just Give him nothing easy. Work him to the corners. Throw him off his game. And that's what Cranio Booster was able to do. He blinked once but recovered well in the breaker. Again, he advances in straight sets. We're now, he's taking on Dan Evans. And for Dan Evans, impressive today. Into his second career Masters 1000 semifinal. Evans, a 1-6, 6-3, 6-4. Come from behind victory against Tommy Paul. I mean, again, from a numbers perspective, Tommy Paul was the better player. He won 88 total points to 85 for Evans. He hit 41 winners to Evans 17. He, you know, was 29 of 36 at the net, an 81% win percentage to Evans 20 of 35. And yet Evans was just Relentless, And Evans got that early break in set number three. He held on to it the rest of the way. What's so impressive is, A, I know it was 20 of 35, but Dan Evans started serving and volleying pretty frequently at the start of set number two because physically, he, you know, again, from the baseline, he just wasn't beating Tommy Paul. Tommy was disciplined in set number one. Whenever Dan Evans threw that backhand slice at him, Tommy said, fine, I'm going to keep going backhand cross court or inside out forehand until I have you so far stretched outside the alley that the inside-in ball, the the down-the-line ball on the deuce side is just wide open to me. I can move in behind it and be extraordinarily efficient in my plus-one volley put away. Again, the numbers indicate Tommy Paul had success doing exactly that whenever he was in an advantageous front-foot position. That's where you gotta give credit to Dan Evans, who, shout out to the Cranberries, he lingered. That's what he did from start to finish in this match. Just did not let the streaks of excellence from Tommy Paul, the ridiculous shot making, whether it be, you know, down match point three, five in the third set to hit that dipping passing shot at Dan Evans. And, you know, Evans lands that volley next volley, you know, next passing shot. Tommy Paul goes right at the body of Evans. He hits the volley back to Paul who hits an out of the air, no man's land bump lob over the head of Dan Evans, then puts away the forehand volley. Hopefully I did that play by play enough justice, but Go look up the points. Go look up the highlights. You'll find it for Tommy Paul. He was exceptional at different points of this match. And again, fights off a match point to ask the question of Dan Evans for 5-4. But Evans didn't miss a first serve in that 5-4 return game. And even when Tommy laces a beautiful backhand cross-court pass for 15-0, what does Dan Evans follow it up with? Three, excuse me, two consecutive serve and volleys, you know, on one of which hits an unreturnable serve, the other which just a beautiful little backhand short cross court half volley scoop that Tommy isn't able to do anything with. That's playing on your terms in crunch time. And again, a big serve go, you know, from Dan Evans to clinch the match and you know, he's in to his second semifinal. Dan Evans does a little bit of everything. He volleys well. He hits the backhand slice with variety and to neutralize your pace. He's physically just extraordinarily disciplined. Has to be with how neutralizing that backhand slice is yet not aggressive. You know, again, hits the forehand on the run extraordinarily well, and I thought he did a good job punishing the Tommy Paul second serve, particularly as the match wore on. Whenever he would leave one short to the forehand, Dan Evans is on top of it, and whether it's ripped cross, ripped line, it's just ripped. You know, but again— Tommy played well enough to win this match. He blinked for two service games, three service, two service games. He was broken twice in this match, once in the second set, once in the third set. Again, credit to Dan Evans, who just stuck around and stayed alive on serve and just protected that serve. He only faced, you know, eight, or I guess he did face eight break points throughout the match, but he's able to fight off six of them. I believe he was only broken in the first set, held the rest of the way, and just found a bunch of different ways. His approach shots are so efficient. I should have mentioned that as well. Dan Evans is going to find the outer thirds with his approach and he may not blitz you with his place uh, with his power, but his precision is exceptional. You look for Dan Evans now. and overall on the season. It's only his second semifinal at the tour level this year. Third overall, of course, made quarterfinals last week in Washington, now into the semifinals here in Montreal. As such, you look uh, for Dan Evans back up to number 23 in the ATP Live rankings. Dan Evans now currently sitting also at number 23 in the points race. Look, Evans' ranking has vacillated from 22 to 50 over the past 18 months, but he stayed in the top 50. He's extended the prime of his career, getting to play at the biggest events because he's been pretty darn consistent. 55, uh, 59, and uh, excuse me, now 59 and 50. Yes, correct. Overall, a 54% win percentage since play resumed in August 2020. That's not a top 10 number. That's not even a top 20 number. But if you're winning over 50% of your matches and you're playing the biggest events, and again, since the start of August 2020, you look for Dan Evans at the slams. I believe he's played the main draw of every Grand Slam. Yes, he has. All nine of them since August 2020. Um... Made a round of 16 at the U.S. Open last year. Those are some significant points for him to have to defend, but certainly played his role earlier in the season. Third round, Australia, hold seed, loses to Felix. You know, second round, Roland Garros. Clay never going to be his best surface, but does get a win there. And look, Wimbledon doesn't really matter this year because there were no points offered, even though he did lose first round. This is big for him. Second semifinal for him, again, in his career at the Masters. And. You know, you look for Dan Evans at the end of last season. What points does he have to defend? Not much, really. Only got three wins after the U.S. Open last year. One at Indian Wells, one in Stockholm, one in San Diego those US open points are huge but you know again Dan Evans can make a push and certainly he'll be a top 25 seed at the US Open which just gets you into the ball game 24 and 17 overall on the year you look for him though again beating uh, certainly who he's supposed to beat this year 1911 against opponents ranked outside the top 20 that is how you keep yourself inside the top 40 you know again on the flip side for Tommy Paul I mentioned all the stats yesterday. He's been exceptional throughout the course of the past two months. And, you know, this was his fourth quarter final in six events. He now finds himself inside the top 35, 31 in the live rankings, 29 in the points race. It's going to be seated at the U.S. Open. And being seeded just makes your life a little bit easier to make another second week at a Grand Slam. And do do any of us think Tommy Paul is not capable of doing that at the U.S. Open? Absolutely not. So impressive by Dan Evans, too advanced. And now, again, ultimately, he will face Pablo Carreño Busta. The two of them, uh, you look in their career, Carreño Busta, excuse me, against Dan Evans. Probably should have had this drawn up beforehand. This could be the first career head-to-head matchup. That's why I don't have it drawn up. I just forgot that that's why I didn't leave it open. Going to be a fun one. Certainly, you look at the Tennis Abstract Formula. Dan Evans, going to be the underdog. boost Busta, 59.9% favorite. Again, played Stan in his prime and Zverev in 2018 in his two previous Masters semifinals. This is his best opportunity to make a first Masters final. And uh, again, that match Start the clock, two hours minimum, uh, even if that match ultimately ends up going straight sets. Of course, you look at the top of the draw, going to run a couple of numbers by you guys, but... Not much to say about the match between Casper and Felix Auger-Aliassime. Casper killed him, and you look for Ruud a one-in-two victory over FAA. Twenty-two winners against eight unforced errors for Ruud. Twenty-one unforced errors for Felix on the day. He was two of fifteen on second serve points, won only fifty-six percent of his first serve points. Casper just absorbed everything Felix threw at him. Felix was very bad hitting the forehand on the run today. Of those, what was it again, 21 unforced errors, I have to imagine 16 of them were on the run forehands for Felix. You know, Casper just had him moving side to side and, you know, didn't hit more than two balls consecutively. Uh, to that Felix backhand corner because he didn't want Felix camping on that wing. And for the second consecutive match, Casper hit that backhand down the line beautifully. He moved the forehand around the court so well. Whenever he did attack Felix's forehand, again, the heaviness of the Casper cross-court forehand just produced errors. And... Again, this is sort of in a nutshell indicative of the low, you know, the worst of Felix in that when plan A is not working for him, plans B, C, D sometimes are a little bit short. You know, despite having an elite first step, he's not always the most fluid in and out of corners, but I'm not reading too much into this. Felix played very, very poorly. Casper played very, very well. What I would remind everyone Casper, now 38 and 13 overall on the year. That means he's winning 75% of his matches. It's now his seventh quarterfinal of the season. He's played 16 total events, seven semifinals. That's pretty darn You're making the semifinals, final four of half of your events. That's how you put yourself and find yourself currently sitting at number four in the points race. And now Casper has got an 800-point lead on fifth place, Daniil Medvedev, perhaps more importantly, a 1,000-point lead on seventh place, Felix Ogier-Aliassime. Now, we still have Paris we still have the U.S. Open, we still have Cincinnati, still got some big events on the board, but to be a 1,000-level title in points ahead of the seventh-place guy, Kasparu's going to end up at the year-end finals. Kasparu currently sitting at number five in the live rankings. That's a career high for him. He wins tomorrow. He'll move up to number four, surpassing Carlos Alcaraz. That's how good Kasparud has been this season. And again, just some stats for you for Kasparud in terms of his consistency since the start of 2021. You look for Kasparud. Now the results at his last six uh, Masters 1000 events. Kasparud now, and again, pretty darn impressive if you're asking me, Canada quarter since the start of 2021. Canada quarterfinals, Cincinnati quarterfinals, Indian Wells round of 16, Paris quarterfinals, Indian Wells round of 32, which he followed up by making the Miami final, now into the Montreal semifinals again. He's gone quarterfinals or better in five of his last seven, 17-6 overall. The losses to Elkaraz, Kyrgios, Zverev, Schwarzman, Zverev, Tsitsipas. That's as consistent as anyone you're gonna find. And today, just epitomizing how excellent he can be. Now, you know who else has been extraordinarily consistent? Hubi Hercotts, who just to offer those final thoughts, Hercot's surviving a seven six, six, seven, six one victory uh over Nick Kyrgios. You look for Hubi now overall on the season, just quietly, thirty-one and thirteen winning 70% of his matches overall on the year. You look for whobie in this one. Obviously was exceptional on serve, saved all six of the break points that he faced, 20 aces for him today, dropped just nine points on the first serve, 23 total points overall. And again, about 15, 16 service games, uh, excuse me, 16 total service games. Hoobie dropped 23 total points, less than two points a game. Pretty darn good. 20 aces, you know, again, so 27 winners from the ground, 13 unforced errors, 22 of 38 at the net. Look, this, there were quick points. There were shot-making. I actually thought Kyrios was probably the better of the two defensively today, but he had to play too much defense. And, you know, he's played so much tennis over the course of the past three weeks, really doubles in Atlanta, singles and doubles in Washington, now into the quarterfinals here in Montreal in singles. He was gassed by the end of the match. And I'm not making an excuse for Kyrgios, but Hooby took advantage of that fact. He popped him. He was on his front foot. He was aggressive. And you look for Hooby Hercats again since the start of the 2021 season, be Hercots at the Masters events, Miami title, Canada quarterfinals, Cincy quarterfinals, Indian Wells quarterfinals, uh, Cincy round of 16, excuse me, Indian Wells quarterfinals, Paris semifinals, Indian Wells round of 16, Miami semifinals, now Canada quarter, uh, semifinals, excuse me, as well, 24 and 6 overall. With quarterfinals or better in six of his last eight hardcourt Masters events, semifinals or better in four of his last eight Masters hardcourt events, I mean, come on, he's now what? 5-5 5-5 five five versus top 20 opponents during that stretch as well. 24-6 and six at the biggest stages. On the hard courts, two out of three sets. Hubi Hercats is just in the fight. And, you know, again, always worth reminding everyone, Hubi Hercats currently fourth in hold percentage in this 2022 season. He's holding serve 90.4% of the time. The 90% club, that's elite of the elite. Again, now you're talking who's over 90% for the year. Opelka, Isner's, Kyrioss Berrettini's. Hubie Hercats is of the world. Now the difference, obviously, between Hubie and those other guys you look for, Hubie Hercots, not only is he six foot six, fluid, mobile, but you know he, he breaks serve about twenty percent of the time, eighteen point nine percent, curious esque in terms of the stats we've seen of late here on this show. But you know, again, I feel like against the elite servers, he's actually better because they force him to be a little bit more decisive. And yeah, his forehand can be picked on, but that backhand is rock solid and. Again, Hubie can just do a lot of different things. And the question for him, not what's plan C- B, C, D. Matt stakoyak and I were talking about Hubie Hercats back in 2018. We were like, the talent is clearly there. We know he can do B, C, D, and E, but what's plan A for him? Well, behind that first serve, we see what plan A can be. And again, he versus Kasparud, two of the most consistent players on the ATP tour at these events without Djokovic, Nadal, or Zverev in the draw. We actually very much could have perhaps seen this coming if you look at the stats. And as such, Casper Rude, 56.5% favorite. It's a pick between he and Hubi Hercots. That's going to be a really fun match. Two fun semifinals. Again, Carreno Busta favored 59.9% against Evans. hercots. Rude, Rude, a 56.5% favorite. With that said, Let's move over to our WTA action unfolding in Toronto. Again, the night session is where I want to start with our women's action because you had two, three set battles, both extraordinarily enjoyable. Let's start with Carolina Pliskova, who survives. Four six six four six four comeback victory for her against Jung Chin-Wen. it was just a stark reminder of how good that Carolina Pliskova first serve can be, you know when she's landing it confidently. She made sixty four percent of them in today's match. Won seventy one percent of her first serve points, and in particular in set number three was just the rock behind that first serve. And you know again credit to Jung Chin-Wen, who played some extraordinary defense in this match. And, you know, for someone who brings the sort of power, fire, you know, power and depth to every ground stroke that she produces, she scoots around the court extraordinarily well. She is a fluid mover. And with the strength that she possesses, when she gets her hands on that ball, it's just going to go deep. It's going to, again, going to, penetrate the court and provide herself a chance to get things back to neutral. And, you know, again, when she was on her front foot, because she was pretty darn good behind her own serve today, 163, 160- 7% of her first serve points, fifty percent, 51% excuse me, of her second serve points. She actually was better on attacking the second serve than Pliskova today. Pliskova winning just 35% of her first serve points. The biggest difference in this match, and I know it's pretty simple, but the Pliskova first serve was the biggest weapon on the court, and it just allowed her more free points. Yes, she hit only 10 aces, but she must have hit 25 plus unreturned serves. And whether it was the big you know, flat out wide on the, uh, on the deuce side, which as a righty, I know some listeners get mad when I refer to my own tennis experiences because I did not play at this level. But again, ask Gil Gross on the binary scale 1-0. Am I a competent and good tennis player? Ask Gil Gross. Someone at this mini break podcast, you want to make my day, make my weekend listeners. And it's minute 35, so I don't think it's too late in the podcast to make this request. I apologize. But if one of you will just please indulge me at Gil Gross on Twitter and just ask him, say, hey, Gil, I was listening to the mini break podcast. I made it to minute 36, which I know you never have as a listener. And Alex brought up a good question. What happened when the two of you stepped out on the court when you played in Los Angeles? I haven't brought it up on the show. You know, again, I'm trying to be humble, but perhaps that's a little bit of a tease of what the result was. But ask Gil about my tennis game because he made a fascinating comparison that was thoroughly enjoyable. And I know a lot of you like and enjoy his work breaking down tennis games. If you want to know what my tennis game looks like, Gil can let you know specifically. But as a server, back when I had a shoulder You know you're feeling it when the slice wide on the deuce side, you can hit that ball instead of a slice, just hit it flat and go big flat over that portion of the net. And when it's landing, things just become easier because, again, you got that whole runway to work with, and it's usually a plus one forehand or in Pliskova and my case, the plus one backhand cross court to the open court uh, is always in our playbooks. And Pliskova was just executing really well behind that plus one ball. And yeah, she blinked a couple of times. Certainly when she was broken back in set number three, it felt like, oh no, is Pliskova going to let this match get away from her? But pretty quickly, she got right back on the horse and again, just kept Jung, uh, Jung Chin Wen under so much pressure. And you got to give credit to Jung Chin Wen, particularly given the physicality of her and rescue match, you know, which was less than what, 24 hours ago uh, for her to battle the way that she did just. A testament to the 19 year old as a competitor. And we already know fourth highest ranked teenager in the WTA rankings. The three above her have all already made Grand Slam finals. Still, for Junction, when she's now number 41 in the WTA rankings. What does that mean? You're playing whatever you want. In the 2022 season, and I think we're going to see her continue to rise certainly over the course of, if not the immediate future, certainly over the next few years as well. But credit to Carolina Pliskova, I went through all of her hard court numbers yesterday. She's now 14 and 12, I believe, overall on the year this season, and you know, just has momentum going into some of her best events last year, semifinals, Cincinnati, and what was it, quarterfinals before getting knocked out by soccery at the U.S. Open. We know what Pliskova is capable of, but she really needed this for her rankings with those big results coming up. And you look for Karolina Pliskova. She still is down five spots this week in the rankings, has to earn another victory to defend her finals points, but still at Holden Strong, number 19 in the WTA Live rankings, considering she only has 15 wins on the season, not too shabby. And for what it's worth in the points race right now, Karolina Pliskova currently sitting at, because this will tell us where she might drop to. Okay, with this run, she's currently sitting at number 54 in the rankings. If she earns another victory, she'll jump all the way up to number 43 in the points race. And, you know, again, why am I offering this perspective? Because let's say she gets tripped up early. Semi-final points to defend in Cincinnati. Let's say she loses first or second round. Certainly, her ranking will take a hit. She loses earlier than the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. Her ranking will take a hit, but for the 30 year old now with this run, you know, as long as the bottom doesn't fall out, which it has at times, but given how injured she was early in the season, how few matches she's played, it makes sense. It took her a little bit longer to find her rhythm. Of course, cr- recently underwent a coaching change as well, but you look for the 30 year old Pliskova. We know the weapon the serve can be. It's probably one of the five best serves of the past decade on the WTA Tour. And, you know, again, when she She's striking the ball on her front foot. Her ability to make contact with the ball cleanly in uncomfortable positions because she's never been the best mover has always been one of her fun strengths. But she's moving well. She's serving well. She's hitting confidently. She was returning. I mean, by the end of the match, again, she was playing from the baseline, just hitting her corners as well, you know, as Carolina Pliskova does at her best. Bottom shouldn't fall out for Pliskova now with this result. She's into the semifinals where, look, she's going to be a 65.6% favorite against Beatriz Haddad Maya, and certainly as physical as Haddad Maya has been 100, what now, 84 matches over the past 25 months. But you look for Haddad Maya, these past two matches for her, she's played, what, two three hours of tennis against Iga, two hours, 11 ten, uh, minutes of tennis against Belinda Bencic tonight. Nevertheless... Beatrice Haddad Maia into her first Masters 1000 semifinal and continues to shine in this season. Now 42-15 and 15 overall on the year. She earns a 2-6, 6-3, 6-3 victory over Belinda Bencic. And look, Haddad Maia, new career high, 20 in the live rankings. She's also now sitting at number 17 in the points race. She just, I mean, the truth is Bencic blinked. I don't know how else to say it. 3-4, third set, Belinda Bencic, three unforced errors, all on the forehand wing. She blinked. She handed that 5-3 break to Beatriz Maia, who then earned it with some nice defense, which, you know, the moment Bencic hit a neutral, short, a defensive slice into the center of the court. Haddad Maya steps in for an inside-out winner, lets out a massive roar to break for 5-3. What I love about Haddad Maya, she's just in the fight. She's ready to brawl, regardless of the opponent. And I mentioned this yesterday, her plus-one combinations, slice serve out wide with the plus-one forehand on the ad side, Deuce side, she's capable of whether it's ace-t, whether it's flat wide, all this slice into your body can hit all the different spots. And then when she hits that plus one forehand behind you as a returner when you're coming from the deuce side trying to recover from the center, it's just miserable to change directions on. And Benchich has obviously never been the best at changing directions. But again, Haddad is just in the fight. I don't know how else to say it, and today she, you know, saves four of seven breakpoint chances, and, you know, despite dropping the first set 6-2 where Bencic played just some extraordinary tennis, that lefty forehand was jumping right into Bencic's strike zone, and she just used all of Haddad Maia's topspin to keep that ball down, drive it through the court. I thought Bencic played really well, but she blinked at the end of the match, and credit to Haddad Maya, who just keeps the pressure on you until the unforced errors begin to pile up, and then the moment they do, there's a moment of doubt, and that's when Hadad Maya pounces on you. And again, perhaps more than anything else, what I am immensely impressed by the 26-year-old Brazilian is how well she competes. And we've talked about her so much this week, so I'll be brief there, but she just was in the fight and put herself in a position there in set number three to stick around even when, you know, Benchich gets broken for 3-5. She had I believe 3 break point chances in that in that three all service game of Haddad Mayan. Haddad Mayan managed to fight them all off, take advantage of a momentary Benchich lapse, and breaks for 5 3. And, you know, Benchich let out some frustration after not getting the break. Credit to Hadad Maya for, again, capitalizing on that fact. You look for Beatrice Haddad Maya. She's now tied, uh, excuse me, with Hadad Maya. She's now 42 and 15 overall in the year. But, yeah, how many of those? 10 of them came at the. Eight, uh, at the ITF level or the 125K level. I don't know if those count. If they do count, she's now second in terms of total wins on the WTA Tour, trailing just Iga Svjantek. You look for her in terms of top 20 wins. She's now 6-1 against the top 20 this season. In terms of most top 20 wins on the WTA Tour, that's six number. That's tied for fifth on the WTA tour. She trails just Shviantek, Kasatkina, Nisimova, and surprisingly Jill Teichman. That's an interesting inclusion on that list. And I guess a testament to Teichman's upside. But man, again, it's not just beaten up on lower ranked opponents anymore. Beatrice Haddad Maya is in the fight and she's just gonna be a factor these next three years. No ifs, ands or buts about it. But again, you look at the numbers, Pliskova, sixty five point six percent favorite. That's probably because she's the defending finalist. She has more success at this level on this surface, but who's been the better player this season? Unequivocally, that answer would be Haddad Maya. As such, it's going to be a battle, certainly, in our first of two women's semifinals. Of course, on the other side of the draw, Two of your most consistent players of the 2022 WTA season. It starts with Simona Halep was very impressive in a 6-4, 7-6 victory over number 10 seed Coco Goff. And again, Goff had played two 7-6 in the third battles against rabakana against Arena um, Sabalenka, just to get to this point of the tournament. But she really only blinked uh, you know, twice to Halep's one blink in this tournament. Uh, Goff serving 2-all first set. Three, you know, she approaches to Halep three times. Halep hits three extraordinary passing shots. And if I have any qualms from Coco Goff's performance today, it's that she just wasn't quite decisive enough on those approach shots because you have to be definitive when you're playing Simona Halep. If you give her even an inch, if she gets her hands on the ball, she's going to dip the ball low at your feet or just give herself a chance to hit a second passing shot. You look for Coco Goff. How was she broken in set number one? And by the way, Coco Goff in set number one. Oh, I guess both players uh, were—you look for Coco Goff, excuse me, in set number one, was broken twice about how was she broken the first time. Three good passing shots on, indecisive uh, approach shots, two double faults, and a sprayed forehand. Like, Goff blinked. Halep took advantage, and now she's in front in that first set. And yeah, Halep offered a break back in return. Goff played some excellent defense to get that break back, but— You know, Halep was in command, in control, was able to take some bigger cuts on the return of serve, ultimately gets that 6-4 first set. And then, you know, second set, Halep gets an early break, and she's out in front from the start. But they start trading breaks of serve, and Halep blinks. What was she up, 5-3 or 5-2 in that second set? And Goff's able to work the comeback as Halep just starts spraying. A few more balls, but then Simona Halep righted the ship, and you look for Simona, who wins 72.7% of her first serve points in set number one, 60% of her first serve points overall in the match, despite the atrocious set number two numbers for both players. And by the way, 13 double faults throughout the course of this match was not the cleanest tennis for either in terms of a serving performance. That said... Halep can just kill you in a bunch of different ways. She always has had that sort of ability to turn defense into offense. And then if you're tentative, she's just going to have you on a string and hits the ball slightly bigger than you expect every time. And now for Simona Halep, 36 and 10 overall on the year. 36 and 10. She's now into her uh, excuse me sixth semifinal in 11 total events. You know, again over 50 percent of the time. Now we're talking. Prime numbers, that's the elite of the elite in WTA Tour history. Now only the one title for her coming in her first event of the year. She hasn't won a semifinal match since. Obviously had to withdraw in Bad Hamburg, but losses in Dubai, Indian Wells, Birmingham, and Wimbledon. She's got a very winnable match, certainly, as she's going to take on Jessica Pagula. But again, Pagula has been one of those sneaky, consistent players this year. 29-14 and overall on the year. She's into just her third semifinal, but has made uh, five total quarterfinals and, you know, again, has done it at all the big events. Australia, Miami, Madrid, Roland Garros, Toronto, JPEG has been in the fight. She just... You know, six three six three she cruised against Julia Putenseva, went up three uh two love in early break and was just in front of that match before it felt like it even started and just was, wasn't dealing with any, you know, wasn't having, I should say, any of the Putensiva nonsense. You know, anytime she threw in the drop shot, okay, Pagula was going to crush you. Or you want to play moonball tennis? Pagula said, fine, let's play moonball tennis. I'm better at it than you, and when you throw me something short, I'm going to attack. Pagula hits that forehand cross court so decisively now, and it just had Putensiva stretched. She mixed in some drop shots, slice of her own. She had Potensiva frustrated and just worked her in a 3-3 three and three victory, and you look for Pagula, you know, again, Mohamed Georgie Putensva, not the most rigorous, although Georgie's the defending champion, but not the most rigorous of draws to get to the semifinals, but she just beats who she's supposed to beat. She did it in Madrid where she didn't face a seed on her way to the final in her run to the Roland Garros quarterfinal. She only faced one seed in Tamara Zidancic. Doesn't matter. She beats who she's supposed to beat. And as such, you know, again, you know her floor, match in, match out. And as such, Jessica Pegula is now third in the points race this season. Now, the gap between third-place Jessica Pagula and 10th-place Veronica Kudermetova is fewer than 800 points, which, again, given Cincinnati, U.S. Open, ton of end-of-year events still on the calendar. There's a lot of time to make up that ground, but... Jessica Pegula is currently in third place and very well positioned to make a tour final. She's seventh now in the live rankings. It's a career high for the 28-year-old who's unequivocally in the prime of her career. The serve gets better, in my opinion, with every match that she plays. And she can be an elite returner. Certainly was top five returner throughout the course of last season's WTA tour play. So it's a really fun semifinal. Again, physical semifinal uh s- between Pegula and Halap Palp a 62.1% favorite according to tennis abstract again Pliskova 65.6 Halap 42.6% uh, chance to win the tournament according to our friends at tennis abstract but with that said that was friday at the action in Canada. Of course, it continues. Semi-finals on Saturday, championships and Sunday as discussed. Going to have podcasts for you listeners this weekend as we've got a lot of action coming up on the horizon. Cincinnati beginning next week. We are excited to be on the grounds there and enjoy that action in person. Of course, we'll have podcasts throughout as well. Of course, for all of that content, head on over to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, for the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Rackets. You want to message me directly directly. Directly, I'm at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the – of an energy job he does day in, day out, making all of these podcasts possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Shout out to Manscaped. Manscaped.com. That promo code is new balls, please. With that said for our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.